Hey there, this is April with Myonomics, and we are breaking down the strategies on how to sell on Amazon. On our team, we have seven-figure Amazon sellers with years of experience selling, advertising, and even exiting. On Myonomics, we cover all the angles to help you sell and scale on Amazon. So let's get into it. Hello, good morning. Thank you so much for joining our webinar this morning. Maybe it's good afternoon for some folks as well. So good morning, good afternoon. Thank you for joining our webinar. My name is April Beasley. I'm with Mayan. I am the Director of Growth Marketing here at Mayan. And we are here to talk to three different Amazon sellers and talk a little bit about how their journey in becoming an Amazon seller and some becoming a seven-figure seller. So I'm going to go ahead and push us on through. Before we get started, I just want to talk a little bit about the console. This is a little bit of a different console. If you've come to the last of our webinars, you've seen this before, but on the left-hand side, you're going to see our faces. In the middle, you'll see the slides. Below us, you'll be able to ask a question to the panelist. In the middle, there is an attendee chat, and that's basically just your overall chat if you want to have just kind of chat back and forth and create some community with other audience members. Also, if you're interested in talking to one of the Mayan experts, go ahead and book a call. That's on the right-hand side of the screen. And if you are ready to do a free audit with Mayan, and basically what that audit is, is we go into your account and we look at opportunities and how advertising and maybe listing optimization, but we take a look at what those opportunities are and how to make more money and be a little bit more successful at Amazon. Just wanted to give you a quick little heads up that we are doing a Prosper Show giveaway on Instagram. So if you follow us and find the giveaway, it'll tell you exactly what you need to do in order to be qualified and eligible for those two tickets to Prosper. So now we are ready to chat with the attendees. We want to just get you warmed up and hear a little bit about where you're from, how long you've been selling with Amazon. So just go ahead and start talking to us. I'm going to go ahead and introduce Mayan. Mayan is the only PPC optimization platform built by MIT data scientists. And we have customer success managers that are proven Amazon and PPC experts. You'll be able to get to talk to two of them today. So this unique combination of technology and expertise is driving unrivaled FBA growth for revenue and for our customers. I'm going to go ahead and present to you Chris Sawicki and let him introduce himself. Hi, guys. Yeah, my name is Chris Sawicki. I'm an account manager here at Mayan. I've been selling on Amazon for around eight years now. I started out in the retail arbitrage space primarily just like flipping stuff. So trying to sell a lot of books, anything I could get my hands on really. And then I kind of learned that, man, there's a lot of money to be made on Amazon and kind of learned more about the Amazon ecosystem. And then I started my own private label business selling pet supplies. And I had really good luck with that. And then, yeah, I just really wanted to kind of dive more into the tech side of stuff. And now I'm here at my end. Perfect. Retail arbitrage, private label, product sourcing, Amazon PPC, listing optimization, and inventory management. I'm going to move it over now to Philip. Thank you, April. Hey, everyone. My name is Philip Duong, and I started a keto food brand on Amazon back in 2018. 
We did keto noodles and keto rice products. We recently got acquired last year by another Y Combinator startup, and we're doing a little over seven figures annually. My aggregator that bought our brand actually used mine, so that's kind of how I got connected with them. And right now, I'm an account manager at mine. Thank you, Philip. Yeah, and he's also an expert on private label, product sourcing, Amazon PPC, listing optimization, inventory management, and successful exiting. He's generated $1.7 million in ad sales over the last 30 days. It's pretty amazing. And we want to introduce you to Daniela Bolzman. Awesome. That story by Philip is incredible. I'm like so excited to hear even more. <laughs> so I'm Daniela Bolzman, founder of Mindful Goods. I actually started selling, actually, well, we started our business as a full service Amazon agency six years ago. I also started with a little bit of arbitrage myself, launched my own brand a few years ago, a puzzle company during the pandemic. So I have a fun story about that later. But our very first client was a seven figure CPG brand. Our second client was a four-figure CPG brand. So since day one, we have been supporting large and small brands. And now we are no longer a full-service agency. We purely do listing optimization and creative content for brands on Amazon. Perfect. Thank you so much, Daniela. We're so happy to have you here today. Thank you. And then for Daniela, obviously, she said it, listing optimization, developing creative, but also ask her about growing her puzzle brand and her creative agency, packaging for the digital shelf, design for conversion on Amazon, split testing and Amazon experiments, Amazon versus retail versus Shopify. And we already covered listing optimization. So she is helping her customers, her clients experience 255% increase in sales and stopping that scroll with her creative. So really excited to have her here today. I'm going to go ahead and start with Philip on how did you get into Amazon selling? I love this story. It's really, it's very heartwarming. So take it sure. over. Thanks, April. So I actually started selling the product because my mom was pre-diabetic and I was looking for foods for her to eat. This product is primarily eaten in Asia. It's actually called shirataki. What it is, it's a noodle that's kind of based out of water and mixed with a plant. So it's very low calorie, low carb. I started making my own version and then testing it with my neighbors, friends. And then I got it private labeled through a manufacturer overseas. And that's how I got started selling on Amazon. And it kind of just took off from there. Perfect. Thank you so much. Daniela, how about you? So like I said, I started with a little bit of retail arbitrage just to get my feet wet and understand the business model and the mechanics of Amazon and ultimately knew that I wanted to start my own brand. So a few years later, I had launched my puzzle brand. And interestingly enough, I also did that myself in a very like lo-fi kind of way. I printed about 50 of them and just tested the waters on Amazon first. I packaged them myself because I wanted different kind of packaging than what was in the marketplace. And I just wanted to see how well they would sell. At the time, I was hearing that it was not a great idea to start a puzzle company. And when the pandemic hit, it became one of the number one selling products on Amazon. So if I would have started sooner, I probably would have hit that exactly right. 
but you never know with these things. And it just taught me that maybe not listening to everyone else around you is the best idea when you're trying to build your own brand and you believe in something that should be out there. So ultimately I end up launching a second version of the product with much better packaging. And we still sell that version today. Well, if you watch The Last of Us, then you'll probably assume that there's going to be another pandemic in the next few years. <laughs> you can use those puzzles then. I'll be ready. I'll be ready. You'll be, yeah, you'll be ready. But what brought you to Amazon? I mean, was there like some, some sort of thing that sparked your interest or was it just out of pure curiosity? Yeah. So my background's in marketing. I had a tech startup prior to Mindful Goods. And after I exited that business, I wanted to get into e-com and it was going to be either Shopify or Amazon. And at that time, Amazon had purchased Whole Foods. And I was very blessed that my family has a business in CPG. And they were interested in Amazon, but had not yet launched to Amazon. So I asked if I could help out. I saw how steep the learning curve was for an experienced marketer with over 10 years of experience. And I realized that if it's this hard for me, it's going to be even harder for founders who don't have this background. So... Ultimately, I ended up going the path of Amazon and just learning as much as I could in the first couple of years and then kind of dialed in into the one area of creative services. Perfect. Chris, I'm going to move on over to you. And why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about how you got into Amazon selling? Yeah, absolutely. So similar to Daniela, I started in retail arbitrage at first. And the way I kind of heard about it was actually through my dad. He said he was listening to something on like NPR about someone selling stuff on Amazon. And that was his whole business when he retired. And I was like, hmm, let me like do some research into that. I was 20 years old at the time. So I was a broke college kid. And I really wanted something that was flexible schedule. And there's nothing more flexible than doing retail arbitrage whenever you can or whenever you want. So that's how I kind of fell into it. But as far as private label... I always wanted to start my own brand after selling on Amazon for about two or three years. I was like, I really want to jump into this. It was a bit riskier than retail arbitrage, but I got a puppy and I realized how expensive <laughs> pet supplies are and just how outrageous some of the markups are on it. So I was like, huh, well, I'm passionate about my dog. I'm passionate about animals. So that's how I kind of fell into that category. That dog is easy to be passionate about. It's a cutie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go on to the next intro question. And I'm going to start with Daniela this time. And how did you come up with a product idea? So mine was very personal to me. I think for all of us, it kind of was. I've always loved puzzles. It was something that I did with my grandparents as a child. I grew up in the States and and my grandparents were in South America. So I didn't grow up speaking Spanish, although I wish I would have. And so puzzles was something we could do without having to necessarily know exactly what we were saying to each other. We were having fun doing a hobby. But that being said, as I got older, I stopped doing them because I just felt like the artwork was so boring. And then I realized how much I love street art. And one day I just was taking a photo of this beautiful mural in Chicago where I was living at the time. And I decided to make a puzzle out of it. And a few of my friends were like, oh my gosh, that's the coolest puzzle. Where'd you get it? And once I put the two together, I was like, okay, these are two things that people love, street art and puzzles. It's not a new invention. I'm just taking two things that people love and putting it together. And that's how Lost Souls was born. We now support 50% female artists. We give back to BIPOC youth and in, in the form of art scholarships. 
And the idea is just to keep archiving murals from all over the world over time and bringing street art into people's homes. Love that. Thank you so much. I'm going to go to Phil. I know we touched on this a little bit whenever you were talking about how you got into it, but if there's anything you want to share additionally, please feel free to. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So my background's in engineering, so I I love to build and tinker with things. So cooking was another side passion of mine. Also in college, I was a lot heftier. My own product actually helped me lose 50 pounds over the course of about two years. So it was just like a great product. And that's how I I ultimately came up with it, just to help lose weight and help my mom with her diabetes. Wow. I need that product. (laughs) All right, Chris, I'm going to move to you. Yeah. So I kind of already touched on it a little bit with my dog having a puppy and just kind of looking around and saying, man, there's probably an opportunity here. And just always wanting to start a private label business, but just a Really quick on the technical side of stuff, I really wanted something that was lower risk, so something cheap to make and a potential like micro niche market that people are not tapping into. So I started off with medical supply, pet supplies, so like knee braces and cones and some other smaller things to test out at first. And I used Jungle Scout for that to kind of find the technical side of the stuff. Great. I'm going to go ahead and start just peppering in some of the questions from the audience. And this one's specific for you, Chris. And since we're talking about the product idea, this is perfect. But from one of the attendees, what has been the biggest challenge you have faced with selling pet apparel? Is it a similar challenge with selling human apparel? Yes, I would argue it's a little more difficult when it comes to this where people don't know the size of their dogs and you can have a million size charts, but they think one thing and then they get it. And then they're the, so the return rates can be pretty high. A lot of the times or complaints can be high, but usually it's customer error where they don't measure their dog properly. They think their dog's a medium where if you got to look at the chart and stuff like that. So I've had a big headache at first, not having a very detailed sizing charts. And I had to work with creative to get that more in front of people to really visualize it for people instead of just having numbers. Perfect. Yeah, I can say I've bought some stuff for my dog online before, and I've been guilty of that, realizing that she's not as small as I think that she is. She's yeah. <laughs> It's very common. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it looks like I've already kind of pre-asked you this, or maybe not Chris, but I'm going to go ahead and switch it to Phil. And is that right? Or is it Daniela's turn? I think it's Daniela's turn. (laughs) (laughs) What was your biggest struggle with selling? I think I've had a few. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because we work with hundreds of brands every year and they're all facing different struggles in different categories. So we've seen quite a bit, but in terms of my own journey, I will say that my product is not a product that you can really get 50 of. I have to get a thousand minimum per SKU. So we're talking thousands of dollars between packaging and product. And then beyond that, the category, if you look at the first page, well, and I haven't actually dived into this in a while, but primarily the top, the first page of Amazon was 90% sold by Amazon. And so that's a challenge, right? Because you don't actually know if you can even be competitive when Amazon's dominating the category. And what I heard was that they have kind of a a monopoly between the manufacturers of puzzles around the world. So if there's thousands of puzzles being produced and Amazon has relationships with all the factories, of course, they're selling direct to Amazon. 
So that was a challenge going in, and it still is. Also, the category is limited in the depth of keywords, right? There's not a lot of long-tail keywords for Jigsaw Puzzle. It's either 1,000 pieces or 500 pieces. There's not a whole lot of people searching for niches because they don't really know what's out there. So that's also a challenge. And so the way that I deal with these challenges when I do face a challenge is that I'm looking at this as a brand building activity that I'm not looking at Amazon as like a get rich quick overnight scheme. I'm looking at building a brand over the next five to 10 years that I know will still be around. And so with every marketing activity that I do, I have that in mind. I'm not trying to just go in and dump a ton of cash into one advertising campaign. I'm slowly growing the brand over time. And so it's a bit of a different perspective because it's also a seasonal product. So you have to be careful with when you're spending. And those are all basically the top four struggles of this category. I could name so many others that are most common with the sellers that we see, but those are the ones that I've faced personally. Perfect. I'm going to go ahead and go to Phil and ask you what your biggest struggle was. Initially, my biggest struggle was delegating. So at the time I started my business, I had a full-time job and I just had a really time hard hiring people and just getting people to work on the brand. So I I actually quit my job and did it full time. And even once that happened, I had a hard time delegating tasks. So ultimately, as you grow your brand and try to scale it, you can't really do everything yourself. And and a really big learning process for me was to learn how to hire effectively and delegate. Yeah, I think a lot of Amazon sellers really struggle on that delegating thing. As being an entrepreneur myself, I had my own business for 13 years. And that was one of my biggest struggles because I think as entrepreneurs, we have these amazing ideas and we kind of want to forge our own path. And maybe there's a little bit of, I kind of feel like I can do it a little bit better than other people. So... (laughs) I mean, I I think that that's just kind of a little bit of the type of personality of an entrepreneur. So I'm I'm really glad you you touched on that. I'm going to move it on over to Chris and talk a little bit about your biggest struggle. Yeah. So aside from like the sizing issue we talked about, my biggest struggle starting out was actually PPC. I hired someone to do it for me at first. And this kind of goes to Philip's point about delegating. I hired them at first. I didn't really think they were doing a good enough job. And so for me to take it over, I had to do a lot of learning and a lot of research. And that's kind of how I learned to start doing PPC. But it was a huge struggle at first. It's it's an ever-changing system. So learning it from scratch is not very uh, simple. Yeah. And just for the audience out there, we did not force Chris to say that because he works for Mayan. I mean, this is legitimately his biggest struggle. We had an offsite and we did a fireside chat with our sellers. And he said that in the confines of our offsite room, that was really his challenge and kind of found a passion around it. But as someone who's a marketer and I've done Google PPC, that is one of the things that I won't do myself. I will make sure that I hire someone to do that because you can mess up and waste a lot of money and get no returns very, very quickly. That is a big tool. So I completely understand that. Let's see. I don't think we have any additional questions here. I'm going to wrap up with that. And I'm just going to start going through some of the questions that we have from our audience. And since you were talking about PPC, Chris, I 
am going to ask you, what are the biggest challenges you faced whenever you were learning PPC? Yeah, so I guess I'm trying to think off the top of my head, really just organizing and learning all the different terminology behind everything, understanding how it works in general. Also, to get a little technical here, understanding how the bids work and not just relying on Amazon suggested bids and really kind of doing an in-depth guide of maybe using Helium 10 for search volume. Really, a lot of it's just terminology and understanding how it actually works and then kind of piecing it all together. Perfect. Daniela, what about you? With PPC? Yeah, did Did you... you Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I guess, first of all, I would need to ask you, did you do your own PPC or how how did you handle that? Or how do you handle that? It's a great question. So I'm obviously very fortunate that I have a creative agency. So we have lots of PPC partners who have kind of volunteered to help out. And so I actually have used quite a bit of different services. I also have done my own PPC myself. I haven't found the exact right solution yet. And I don't think that, like right now I, I am running my campaigns with, with another tool, but I I don't know if if it's my category or what, but my product's also seasonal, right? So it's a little bit different and it's a little bit difficult. So the way that I kind of run my PPC is, is running it on like a slow autopilot up until peak season time. And then I start dialing it up. But even with that, I'm still like testing external traffic and other, other things. I'm not just leaning on PPC because I haven't found a profitable way to run our PPC yet. So I'm, that's why I'm not going all in on PPC for other brands that are in like higher demand spaces that have more keywords to work with they have more success. So it's not like PPC is always the answer for every brand. And so if you're, if you're lucky to fall into that bucket where you do, you are able to figure out that kind of strategy, then I would be going all in on it. Yeah. And we would love to, obviously, since you're one of our partners, we need to get you an audit and show you what some opportunities are. Let's see. I'm going to go over to Phil and you tell me like, what were, what was your experience like with PPC? Initially, my PPC experience was was great. We didn't have too much competition in the beginning, but I think the biggest lesson I learned and the most important advice I could give is you got to keep optimizing no matter what, because every win you can get, you should take. So you can do that easily once a week or once a month by just going into your campaigns and optimizing your bid strategy. Initially, I kind of let my foot off the gas because my PPC was working so well. But over time, as the space got more competitive, my metrics started going down a bit. But ultimately, I would say just keep optimizing it over time. and It'll, it'll definitely help. Perfect. Thank you so much. We've got another audience question. This is from Tamar Arbelli. Sorry, I'm really bad at names, so just a blanket, I'm sorry. But here's the question. Aside from having a trademark and brand registry, what else do you do to protect your brands from other people copying your products? I'm going to go with Daniela on this because we, I, I believe we talked a little bit about this once before. Sure. One of the biggest things I think for me, seeing so many different brands that come to us, one of the things that we look for when we're going to work with a client is we really want to understand, is this person 
starting a brand that they're looking at long term? Are they an actual brand builder or are they just taking something from China, changing the color of the box and then trying to do private label? For us, that's less interesting, right? Because there's going to be 100 competitors behind you and you might not be around in a few years. And so we really want to work with brands that are really thinking that way and having that longevity towards the way that they're building their strategy. And so that's kind of the approach that I took is that I I knew that I that puzzle brands are nothing new. Puzzles have been around forever. They're not going to go away. And so I just wanted to take a fresh a fresh perspective on it, apply some new art, do something different with the box and just really stand out in search results. And that's exactly what we've done, right? So I don't think you have to be like crazy innovative, but I do think you do need to think about critically, like what are other people doing with their products on Amazon? What are they doing with their packaging? How are they standing out? How many competitors do I have to compete with? Can I even stand out in this competitive landscape? Yes or no? Perfect. We were getting literally so many questions in here, so I'm not going to necessarily go to everyone. I'm going to kind of pick and choose, but I do want to ask the same question to you, Phil, since I know you had a very unique product. Right. Yeah, I think brand messaging is extremely important. Like, If you want to keep growing your business, and that's what my initial goal was, I wanted to have a brand that lasted 10 years plus, but the exit kind of window happened, and I decided to make that decision. But ultimately, you want to have a business plan where you can see a future in different products and an expansion. So that way, you have less competition, per se, and you can stay ahead of the curve. Perfect. All right. I've got a question on warehousing products. This is from Charles Lord. Where do you warehouse your products? And I'm going to go to Chris Sawicki for this one. Yeah, so how I initially started out was most of my manufacturing came from China. And how I started out was literally just putting it into my garage and then sending it to FBA. And I did that for about two years until it got too much. I did work with a 3PL for a while, but then I kind of downsized again. And now I've been just soaring it locally and sending it into FBA when I can. Perfect. And Daniela? Oh, my gosh. Shipping tree from day one. I I have nothing but great things to say about them. They integrate with Shopify. They've made my life so easy. They catch things before I do. Their customer service is incredible. And they have a few warehouses in different parts of the country. So they've been able to keep my costs down. Highly recommend them. I've seen so many people struggle with this. So I highly recommend if you can afford it, that you start thinking this way and using a 3PL that can make your life easier because... I don't even have to think about this stuff. If I need to ship something, they handle everything for me. Perfect. I am going to go switch it over to Phil, and I'm going to ask you, how do you do keyword and product research? And obviously, you can pull from your own personal experience, or you can pull from what you do for customers. Sure. So before I was at Mayan, I would use tools like Helium 10 and Jungle Scout. These tools are pretty powerful in terms of how you can find keywords, find search volume, and things like that. Also trends. But working with mine, we do have our own software that we use where we can find other keywords that work very well for our customers. But ultimately, I would highly recommend Helium 10 or Jungle Scout. All right, Chris? Same exact answer. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I used Helium 10 a lot in the past. I still use it today with my clients, but 
here at Mayan, we also have an internal NLP tool for keyword targeting. Perfect. I'll add something to that, April, if it's okay. Of course. So I'll add data dive to the mix because they actually do something that's quite interesting. So where they miss out is using like Cerebro and other parts of Helium 10, but they do something which we've been doing for years, which is called like Battle of the Titles and Battle of the Bullets, where they'll basically take your copy and run it against your competitors that you select. And they'll let the organic reach of your content versus what theirs could potentially be. And you can optimize it based on that, like live in a spreadsheet. It's really awesome. And then beyond that, going into your actual Amazon data can be super powerful, right? Like looking at your top converting keywords in your search term reports and looking at your brand analytics for the last quarter, pulling that and seeing if what Amazon says is relevant to your product, you might have completely missed something. So it's good to review that at least on a quarterly basis to see what else you could be putting back into your listing and laying over on top of your graphics so that when people are searching for those words, they are subconsciously seeing it on the image as they're searching or as they're going through your listing. Yeah, I can't wait till we release a product around this that's coming up this year. And so I'm don't want to talk about it too much, but it's definitely there's an opportunity out in the market and we are very excited to launch it later this year. Uh, Let me find another question. Have any of you started to use the Buy With Prime and Shopify integration? And what are your thoughts? I'm going to go to you, Daniela. I'm actually not using it. I, I don't use it because I'm for right now, I'm trying to keep those channels separate. But I, I'm not against using it. If you are not really running your own traffic to your own website, I absolutely think you could be using it because driving the traffic back to Amazon is going to help you. It's going to be beneficial. It's going to help your product rank better. They're going to see traffic is coming from your website and they're probably going to favor you for it. I don't because I'm actually running my own advertising to my Shopify site and my margins are different. Perfect. And Phil, same question to you. Yeah, I would would also agree with Daniela there. I also sold on Shopify and we had ads running directly to my Shopify store. Margins were actually better on my personal Shopify store. So that's why I kind of keep them separated. But it really just depends on what you're selling and and what your supply chain looks like. Chris, do you have anything to add there? Not a whole lot. I mainly didn't focus on my Shopify store. That's one regret that I've had in the past. Pretty much all of my focus was on marketplaces. So Walmart, Amazon, eBay, and whatever else. Perfect. I've got a cluster of questions around the acquisition process. So I'm going to just kind of focus on you, Phil, for a second. Are you glad you sold your private label business? And what do you miss, if anything? Yes, I am. But I do miss it, it kind of is your own child. So it's definitely something I always think about. I always check on it to see how it's doing and what the new brand owners launching with it. But ultimately, yes, I, I am happy with it. It was a lot of stress on the weekends, getting messages from people. Also, sometimes your listing gets taken down abruptly. So now that's gone, it's definitely a little less stressful. Yeah, I can imagine. That's kind of 
like me, I loved being a solo entrepreneur, but now I'm not working so many hours. I'm not working all weekend and all night. So completely understand. We've got another question. What are some of the learnings from the acquisition process and when you sold your business? Is there anything that you would redo or change in terms of selling? Yeah, I think if you want to exit eventually, I would start changing your bookkeeping to an accrual basis because this was actually a huge roadblock for me in terms of getting a proper evaluation because everyone who does try to acquire you, they only want to look at accrual accounting. And what that is, it's pretty much money gets accounted for before it's received. So generally, a lot of businesses, they're based off cash basis accounting. So I would highly recommend to shift over to accrual. Perfect. What was an unexpected roadblock that you came upon whenever you were exiting? That was one. <laughs> oh, I guess to double down. Yes. Like the accounting is, is definitely top of mind. Also to add to that, profitability is really key because that really changes your EBITDA and your multiple that you're going to get from your payout. So really Towards the end of your exit, I'll try to just slim down as much as you can to get a bigger payout. Perfect. Daniela, I want you to know that you're getting a lot of compliments for your dog. And the- <laughs> Thanks. Oh, is she no longer on your lap? No, he, he's, he's down below. Yeah. His name Gosh. is Piggy Smalls. Oh, that's adorable. That's adorable. <laughs> Okay, let's see. Have any of you used SKUDROP to ship your products from China? If yes, what has your experience been? I have not. Not either. And Phil? I have not either. Okay. Is that the name of a company? A shipping I guess company? I personally have not heard of it, and I almost called it SkullDrop, and I was like, oh, no, that's SKUDROP. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Let's see. Another question, what tools do you use to mine the sales data of competitive products and to see their sell-through volume and ad spend? I'm going to go ahead and start with you, Daniela, since you're up on the screen. I think we already said it. Helium 10, Jungle Scout, Data Dive. I only I think if you connect your Data Dive account to your advertising account, it'll give you the advertising metrics, but I'm not sure if they base it off of competitors. Like, I think it's more of like what you would need to launch, like a launch strategy approach. But I haven't actually done that, so I don't know. Okay, perfect. Anything to add, Chris and Phil? Not necessarily. I would say, like, I use both Jungle Scout and Helium 10. I haven't really used Data Drive much in the past, but I kind of use the two for two separate things, even though they kind of do both for like product discovery and in depth product research of a competitor. I usually use Jungle Scout. Whereas Helium 10, I use like Cerebro and use more of the keywords and search volume trends. Perfect. Now I'm getting a lot of questions around advertising. So I'm going to stay with you, Chris. How much should I be spending on advertising to be successful? How do I know if my advertising is working or if I'm just setting my money on fire? (laughs) (laughs) That's a complicated question for the first part of it, how much you should be spending. It's really, I guess, down to your return on ad spend, so your ROAS and the overall like competition in the market. So if someone's selling, if a normal competitor is selling like $10,000 a month and you're only selling $1,000 a month, then you should probably up your ad spend a little bit. 
And then what was the second part to that question? How do I know if my advertising is working or if I'm just setting my money on fire? Yeah, so it just comes down to the metrics, the ROAS and tacos. You'll need to do some math, look at your margins and see how much you're able to spend on a percentage wise. And then, yeah, it's just optimizing from there. But I guess a successful PPC campaign is something that you're profitable on at the end of the day. And it's driving sales that you would otherwise not get organically. Perfect. And Phil, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, I guess, at least from our customer perspective, we have a lot of people looking at tacos. And I see another question about, I'm having trouble with tacos. How do you deal with it? So tacos is, for those who don't know, it's total advertising costs over spend. So generally, the lower percentage tacos you have, that means the more organic sales you're getting. So people generally want to be around 10%. But if you're growing your brand, you have new products, this can be around 20%, 25%. So that can help you kind of gauge how much you should be spending on your advertising. And hopefully that helps. Also, I guess to jump onto that, like how do you deal with tacos? The best way is to really try to increase your return on ad spend. So you want to just keep slimming down as much as you can by being more profitable. So you may want to do that by reducing your bids or cutting out targets that aren't really working. Perfect. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and mark that one done. I think this is going to be a great one for really all of you. How can I motivate my customers to leave me great reviews or more good reviews? They all rate my product with five stars, but I'd like to get more testimonial reviews on why they liked it. I'm going to go ahead and start with Daniela. Hmm, That's a great question. So product inserts are one great way. You have to make sure you're doing them within terms of service. I've actually seen people doing really interesting things where they're asking people to share their testimonials on TikTok and Instagram and doing all kinds of fun things with social media. So that's that can depend on your product and whether it lends itself to that. But beyond that, there's now an emailing feature within Amazon, which can also help with that. But I think it's either an email or you're asking for the like the one-click review, right? I don't think you're supposed to be doing both. And so for a lot of people, just asking for the, the one-click review is a lot simpler of a process and it can be automated in your Amazon Seller Central dashboard. So it just depends on how badly you want those testimonial reviews. But I think an insert in this case would be the way to go. Perfect. Chris? Yeah, I was going to mention the same thing, leaflets, inserts in there, obviously making sure that you're abiding by Amazon's terms of service. I saw a huge uptick when I started doing that because when I first started out, I did not. But I saw a big lift in reviews after trying that out. Another big thing is just your overall presentation of your packaging. I think that's a big driver too, making sure the customer feels like they're buying something tangible instead of just a white box and they open it up, use the product and that's it. So making sure your packaging and creative is good and then inserting a leaflet or an insert to basically request, reach out to us if you need anything. I'll add to that. The packaging totally helps. Like Mm -hmm. with our packaging, when people post on social media, they're not just post. I mean, normal puzzles, people just post the puzzle finished with like maybe a couple pieces to the side or, or with ours, we're always getting people posting multiple photos because they have the box and the leaflet and the, and the puzzle finished and the puzzle in progress. They just have so much more fun with it when you have really cool looking packaging. 
That's awesome. I love product packaging design. That's just so amazing. And I think people don't really give it the amount of thought. They think that it's just a piece of cardboard. It's just what your product is traveling in, but it really is creating an experience. And it's also elevating what someone is perceiving about that product. So good on you. Let's see. I'm going to take about five more minutes worth of questions. And then at 50 minutes after, I'm going to allow our panelists to give their final pieces of advice. So just wanted to not disappoint anybody if I change it on you too fast. Let's see. We have a question around product lineup. I'm thinking about expanding my product lineup. What is the best way to go about this? I also would like the panelists to consider seasonality. I know that for a couple of our customers that we work with, a couple of our clients that we work with, we saw that there was a lot of seasonality and we made some recommendation around products to really kind of even that out so you can have more consistent sales. So I'm going to go ahead and move it over to Chris. And if you could talk anything about considering expansion of the product lineup and how to start that process. Yeah, I would say the first thing I would do is if you have a like a good seller is to just expand off of that. So add variations to it. So for example, if you were selling cute dog cones like I was, I'd try a new design out before maybe launching a whole new product by itself because you can kind of work off an existing listing that's working well. And then if it kind of just helps the overall listing as a whole, more SKUs, more sales is a common term. And if you have variations of it and it's already working, it's just going to expand your sales and growth. And then outside of that, just look for other avenues using tools like Jungle Scout to do some product research and find markets. I'm going to move to you, Phil. Yeah, I would say the same exact thing for, for example, for our keto noodle products. We just changed the shape. So we started off with noodles and then moved into like fettuccine and other passive shapes. So definitely leveraging your current product will overall help your brand. Perfect. And Daniela? I'll just, that's all perfect. I'll just add one tidbit to that is that it can be a size variation. It can be a flavor variation. It can be a bundle. It can be a design variation. So be open-minded about the types of variations that you can have. Look at your competitors and definitely look at those tools like Helium 10 to see, or even your own PPC reports to see what are people actually searching for. There might be something that you didn't even realize that people are searching for. That's exactly what you can offer next. Perfect. Variation is what I'm hearing. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. And so this is going to be our final question. And I am going to go back to Chris on this one, only because he and I have talked about it a lot, which is I want to get an Amazon Choice badge on my listing. How can I achieve this? Yeah. So there's not like a specific checklist you can do to get it. But typically, it kind of comes down to sales velocity in the market that you're in. So if you're selling dog cones and you're the top seller in dog cones and you have really good reviews, great content, great packaging, then you're more than likely to get the Amazon Choice Badge for that niche market. There's a lot of other badges within that as well. So like new seller badge or or top new seller badge, like if you just recently released a product in the first like three months and you're starting to sell a lot out the gate, you can get a badge like that as well. But typically it really just comes down to review rate and sales velocity. Perfect. 
Phil, do you have any additional um, insights or thoughts? Yeah, I guess to add on to that, if your product is way out of range in terms of pricing, so let's say the average price point for the product you're in is like $25 and your price point is at, let's say, 70 you're likely not going to get the Amazon Choice Badge just because your price is a lot higher than the average. So I would, I would keep that in mind as well. Great point. And Daniela, do you have any things? That- of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> to, to add on to that, I'd recommend everybody go to check out. I'll, I'll totally give credit. Chris Rawlings has an awesome guide on LinkedIn that he just published last week. And it'll break down, like, even if you can't get that badge, it'll break down all of the other types of badges that are actually achievable and how that will help you optimize your listing, especially on mobile, by increasing the size of how your product or how much space your product takes up in the search results. So on mobile, it's typically like a square, right? Well, every time you add one of these little badges, which can be a number of different types of badges that he lists out, even just trying to accomplish one, two or three of them is going to increase the percentage of space that you take up in search by 20% or more. Great. That really great. Thank you so much, Daniela. I want to give you guys an opportunity to kind of give some closing thoughts and any pieces of advice. And I'm going to go ahead and start with you, Chris. Yeah. So I guess my advice would be stay organized and be patient and very thought out before you commit to anything or do anything. Really focus on the customer's point of view. So focus on the creative, the product itself, the price points, and yeah, just do a lot of research and your due diligence before you try anything out and really just stay organized. Wonderful. And Daniela? Mine is kind of a pairing of the two things that I talked about today, which is really having that mindset for brand building but also trying to stay along the lines of making your product different and interesting and doesn't have to be crazy innovative, but really trying to think through that from the beginning is going to help you long-term. Perfect. And then finally, Phil. Yeah, for me, I touched on this before, but I would say really learn how to delegate, especially on the things you don't know like what you're doing too well in, if it's PPC design or anything else, I'd really look for someone to delegate it to. That's the best way and quickest way to really scale your brand. Perfect. We've got one final question and it's just for Daniela. You talked about where to get that guide or a guide from badges. Could you say that one more time? Yeah, on LinkedIn, search for Chris Rawlings, and he posted it as a blog post in the last week or so. Chris Rawlings. And I think that last name is spelled right, Peter. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Well, thank you all so much. This was so much fun. I really enjoyed it, and it looks like the attendees did as well. So thank you so much, and we hope to see you all at Prosper. Thanks, April. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Myonomics, where we break down the strategies on how to sell and scale on Amazon. This content was sponsored by Mayan, a PPC and inventory optimization platform for Amazon sellers. Mayan provides a free advertising audit to show you how well your advertising could be performing. Learn more at try.mayan.co slash audit.